0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises off. LinkedIn News.
1: When was the last time you were truly present to everything around you without a single screen?
0: Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. We all know a lot has changed over the last few years. We've had to adapt in some big ways. And one shift that I think has both expanded possibility and increased risk is how we connect. With more ways to interact, I'd say it's gotten easier, but in many cases more shallow to be connected with each other. Every single one of us, for example, can think of a relationship that has either happened or flourished as a result of having access to text, FaceTime, email, TikTok, or Zoom, instead of having to schedule a real-life coffee. We can all reflect on how distance got the best of other relationships over the past few years. My guest this week, Erica Dewan, is an authority in digital body language and connection who has found that in this new digital first world, we are all immigrants navigating uncharted ways of being. So her work explores how we connect and build trust today with topics like why we accidentally miscommunicate across generations and how easily we misinterpret responses or lack thereof to texts and emails. With all the new media around us, Erica is sharing how we can best show up while remembering that nothing beats the IRL, that's in real life, experience. Here's Erica.
1: As a mom of two kids who's lived in New York City through the height of COVID, I had my son just five weeks before COVID hit. I don't remember the last time when there was truly no screens. You know, phone was off and... and I was just truly with people. Yes, I've had, you know, an hours, but a true day. We remember those days in our childhood. We we remember the magic of just being outside, the group laughter, the joy, but the always on culture of always having to check our phone in the morning, in the evening. Think of what that's doing for us and take an off screen day if you can, or even a few hours and The more that we do that and even note down what we're learning and what presence allowed us to do and feel, the more I think we'll get closer to the soul and spirit of who we are as as humans and our potential.
0: This is such an interesting one because normally on the show, I'm talking to people who are you know, researching happiness or, you know, researching meaning. And I want to play with how this connects to some of the depth of why we do what we do. Yeah. And your story starts with, you know, you growing up with parents who were immigrants in Pennsylvania, looking around, trying to figure out and understand how you could learn the subtleties of connection pre, you know, all of our iPhones, our computers, and all that stuff, so that you could understand the people around you.
1: So that I can fit in and just belong with the popular girls and the cliques and the, you know, the challenges that we all face as kids trying to navigate the world we're living in.
0: Yeah. When I think about connection as a kid, I can remember some of the things that you shared, things like trying to figure out, you know, how the popular girls walk with confidence or how the cool kids walk slower and hold their shoulders lower or how, you know, for me as a kid, um, you know, I didn't have confidence. And so oftentimes my eyes were averted. Right. And like the impact that has. Can you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up as an extremely shy and introverted girl at home. My parents, who were Indian immigrants, spoke Hindi. So when I got to school, I had accented English. I was struggling in this foreign world of trying to fit in. I'll never forget the consistent feedback on report cards saying, I wish Erica spoke up more in class. Or when I was in seventh grade, one teacher pulled me aside and said, "Erica, you slouch too much. These little things were things I didn't really understand at the time, but over time really learned that In the world of communication, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. After I got coaching that my handshake was a dead fish style and I needed to be more firm, I quickly fixed it. After I had repeated feedback that I really should lift my shoulders back when I'm presenting, I quickly learned that it wasn't just something I had to do. It actually allowed me to create trust with someone or not. In today's world, we're living in a whole new country of how we connect through digital body language. And my ways of learning and seeing the world from that immigrant perspective has given me a sensitivity and an awareness to that, to the world we're all living in now, which is truly digital first, where we're all actually immigrants today. Mm -hmm. I remember I used to watch Bollywood movies as a kid, and I couldn't understand all of the Indian dialects that they were speaking, but I would watch their facial expressions. I would watch their hand gestures and I could read an entire storyline through the Bollywood movies. And of course, I was using the VCR. I remember that screeching noise of the internet going up with dial up connection. <laughs> remember that? Remember how Be primitive kind,
0: rewind. Yeah. these
1: tools were? <laughs> yeah. And I think my understanding and the notion of confidence being built so intently through body language Uh, really allowed me to see that we we have a whole new set of body of our language now. And that's the opportunity for us to unleash a new level of human potential and connection if we learn and adapt to it to be flexible to these new tools.
0: I'm curious, you know, what is the intention behind your work? I think the intention behind my work is to bring
1: back the true soul and spirit of how we connect with one another and to not limit that to physical proximity. Uh, In our digital landscape that we're all living in today, we've all had ups and downs, especially in the last few years. Um, We have had a love-hate relationship with Zoom where we were able to connect with people that we may not have in the past or more frequently, but we've also gotten exhausted. And I think that this isn't a moment in time for us to rewrite the rules of reimagining what connection can and should be moving forward. I'll give you an example. Pre-pandemic, I was on a conference call. Three of us were remote and three people were in the office. It wasn't until the 26th minute of a 30-minute meeting that someone in the office said, does anyone on the phone have something to share? We had been excluded the entire time. But actually, as a result of our shift in the last few years, that doesn't happen the same way as often. We may be more thoughtful in a hybrid context. And what I believe that these new tools and mediums can foster is a whole new level of inclusion and connection. One example that I love to share that reminds me of this spirit of connection is about a community called the Granny Cloud. Have you heard of the Granny Cloud, Leah? Mm -mm. The Granny Cloud is a community of thousands of grandmothers around the world that come together on video Skype to mentor and tutor children across India. And it all began through an experiment where one professor put computer Wi-Fi enabled kiosks in slum villages in India, and he found they went online, they were learning coursework, and it got international media attention. And a group of grannies reached out to the professor and said, how can we help? Now, pre-pandemic, I'd argue, the traditional response would have been, give us more money, buy us more computers. But because of our digital shift and how we can foster human connection, They said, why don't we create a video community where we're connecting and mentoring and tutoring these children? Today, not only thousands of grandmothers are connecting, but the story doesn't stop there. In fact, research is now being done to show that the video interaction that these grannies are having is helping to increase their cognitive ability as they decline in age Mm. and are often idle, isolated, and home alone. So as as we reimagine connection, (laughs) our digital tools are an enabler if we use them well.
0: Mm. You started getting me thinking about uh, the book called Ikigai, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's the Japanese concept of basically having a purpose uh, and kind of how you create and find that, and that it can have take many different shapes. Um, but in the book, they focus on the blue zones in the world. And so the places where people live, it has the largest number of people who are over 100 that are still alive. And all of those people they found have one thing in common, which is purpose. and. As you're talking about the granny cloud, you know, you're talking about cognitive ability. I'm also thinking about, wow, the power of technology means that people who, you know, as they age may feel like they don't have anything to do anymore, now have a purpose, which increases cognitive ability, which, who knows, may increase longevity.
1: I think that our our shift over the last few years really calls us all in this moment to ask ourselves, how will we create a better normal? And reimagine how we connect across any silo, any distance, any person using our digital mediums that we now have access to, to drive that level of inclusion, purpose, and meaning with each other. Uh, you know, I, I've i studied the ways that really unique groups have been able to come together in unimaginable ways. Uh, one of my favorite examples is from a surfer named Ben Thompson, who hated the sludge in the water when he would surf. And so he was also an engineer by background. So he created a sensor underneath his surfboard that would help track the salinity, acidity, temperature of the water, because apparently there's not a lot of data from just on the waves, just off the shore. And then he partnered with climate change researchers and connected his entire surfing community together, using these mediums to help surfers gather data that climate change researchers don't have access to in a new and different way. And I think that when we think about purpose and meaning, this is a moment where we can broaden our perspective on who can be part of our purpose. It can broaden our perspective on how we can connect with them, not just one time annually at a big conference, but in a daily medium like the granny cloud. And last but not least, uh, I think that it's now truly available to anyone from our cell phone, uh, you know, from our nearest screen or computer, which gives us a whole new set of opportunities. It's not just millionaires and billionaires or people that are app developers that have access to this expansive level of connection.
0: We're going to take a short break. While we do, sink your teeth into Erica's point about rewriting the rules of what connection can and should look like. In the past two years, my rules have certainly changed, and I'm sure yours have too. What I'm guilty of, though, is forgetting to tell people I have rewritten them. So I'm outing myself here to stay accountable. When we get back, Erica explains how to reconsider the negative assumptions of ghosting and why it can help us protect our peace. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. From LinkedIn
2: News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday Podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing. We're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday Podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets.
1: The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all.
2: Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career.
1: I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion.
2: Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long term
0: commitment are surprisingly important.
2: Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back with author and digital communication expert, Erica Dewan. You know, you recently released an article in New York Times about ghosting, uh, and I love your phrase, digital summons. We're sort of in a place where we are awkwardly fumbling towards how we balance digital overload with, you know, being alive and in person and experiencing life. And the term digital summons was really meaningful to me because I've, I've shifted, you know, myself, I've shifted in the way that I like to communicate in how quickly I respond to text messages and to calls. And it's not personal, but it feels personal when I'm not responding.
1: Yeah, I would say since the height of the pandemic, everything has sped up to a hamster wheel status. You know, the pressure to feel like we have to respond to everything As quickly as possible, I believe we need to reframe this whole notion of feeling ghosted or the anxiety we feel when we're waiting to hear back from someone. Uh, We have in-person, off-screen lives as well. And sometimes we forget how important it is to prioritize that and create boundaries and for those of you that are feeling this sense of pressure, I think most of us, this is a moment to, to set new boundaries, to rewrite the rules that will allow us to maximize our in-person connection and also create the space for our on-screen connection time as well. In my article, I recommended that we have to stop calling it ghosting when we haven't heard back from someone or we're waiting and instead call it triaging and not feel as bad if we can't get back to someone quickly. I like to say make sure you initiate and think about three factors when it comes to your messages and which channels you use. The first is complexity. Is this high complex or is it low complex? If it's high complex, maybe don't rush back to try to get a response, a message back to someone quickly. Take some time to think about it. Remember, thoughtfulness matters more than hastiness in complex messages. If it's low complex, maybe it's easy to say a quick yes or no message and it can get out to someone in a way that's needed. But don't constantly feel like you have to respond to every text if it's not important or or really a priority. Wait until the next day. The second factor is urgency. And when it comes to urgency, there are different levels of need here. So do you need it in five minutes? Is it really urgent or do you need it in five days? I know teams that have actually changed the nature of this, where they set response time expectations in their emails. And then the third factor to think about is the familiarity and the power level of the person. Mm-hmm. We all know if we get a message from our boss, we may be more likely to feel like we have to respond quickly. But if they're sending messages at midnight when it's not a norm, you don't need to respond back at midnight. I like to remind those bosses to schedule their email to go out you know, the next day or let the team know, so you're not creating an environment where your teams, your colleagues, feel constantly rushed to respond. And and again, I think the digital summons is there right now, but it's up to us to create space to have our off screen lives that bring us back to the true spirit and soul of human
0: connection. How do we deal with digital summons and ghosting when it comes to our personal relationships, our friendships, our family, people that expect to hear back from us, and then you know. May not because we're triaging there too. Or do we not triage?
1: Well, we've all heard of ghosting and dating. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, research and studies have shown that uh, it's it's very common to just Get a no, I'm not interested by never hearing back from the person. They don't respond with a no. When you're face to face with someone, you can get that immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just easier now to signal a no with a quick non response Mm -hmm. as the response. Now, when we apply that in our personal lives, ghosting not only became a mainstream mode of communicating and dating, it's also in our personal lives where we may not hear back from someone. There was a recent study that showed that uh, about 31% of individuals uh, have been ghosted by a friend or someone in their personal lives. And I think that the key message here is that we have to assume the best intent and, and don't sweat the small stuff. People are busy. Sometimes things are not a priority for another person in the way that they may be for you. Mm -hmm. Lead with assuming the best intent. Have a good follow-up strategy. And remember that that's kind of a norm now in our communications. It also depends what the power and trust level is with someone. If you've never met someone before and you're texting them, it may be more likely it will take a longer time than a best friend from college, where you're talking about something really serious. And um, and also trust dynamics. Mm-hmm. Are you close in trust or or is this a relationship that is just beginning or emerging? Give people at least 24 to 48 hours, especially in text in emails, I would say a week to follow up Fair. Don't assume they'll follow <laughs> up within 48 hours. People need time again, especially if it's not extremely urgent. Secondly, make sure in email that you've changed the subject line. We've all gotten hundreds of emails every day. And it's easy to miss things if we don't change the subject line. I like to say it's like the new measure of clarifying what you mean in a message. And it will make or break whether someone reads it. Third, if it really is urgent, mark it as urgent so people know. And then fourth, make sure to know when to switch the channel. If you're not getting to someone by text or something's really serious, pick up the phone. (laughs) Remembering picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails or text messages in certain situations. And I'll I'll be honest I'll never forget um, being in a group chat with my girlfriends from college and someone said something in text and then another person said something and it was about a heated news story and it turned into a passive aggressive digital sword fight we have all been there right and so remember when to switch the channel and and again I think it's it's not just an etiquette now it actually will either deepen or erode trust in our modern environment of personal relationships.
0: I want to go back to this, that you, your continual kind of statement here is assuming the best intent. What keeps us from doing that in this whole process? In our digital landscape, research shows that up to 50% of the time
1: we misinterpret the tone of someone's digital message. 50% of the time. And that's not just in the workplace, that's with our family and friends. It's harder to read the head nod, the handshake, the the lean in, the raised eyebrows, the pursed lips. A lot of that has completely disappeared. Um, So assuming the best intent takes a whole new meaning in our modern uh, ways of communicating. And it requires us to, to, again, not sweat the small step and also check if our interpretations are correct before responding. There was a study that showed that um, Gen Z, often feels like emojis and texts mean uh, passive aggressiveness or something ironic. But for those that are, you know, geriatric millennials like me, or those um, that are more of digital adapters, an emoji is now the new facial expression of a smile hmm. or an excitement signal.
0: I just can't believe that 50% of the time I'm wrong <laughs> about about what someone's trying to say, or I miss the mark on that. You know, I think the hard thing for me is like, I may have a challenge assuming positive intent because I'm so busy taking something personally.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That you're now saying is 50% possibility of it being wrong.
1: Absolutely. It's very easy to take things personally. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think this is one of the issues that's eroding a lot of human connection and digital communication. We've added all these tools without a way to reduce the anxiety Mm -hmm. around them and I think that this is going to be an ever-evolving journey of getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, of flexing our styles, and to simply know which channels to use in what ways.
0: So, you know, it's funny. I thought that our connection skills were atrophying because we'd been at home for two years. And you're shifting my perspective. And maybe it's not that it's atrophying, but they are evolving, adapting, and changing because of the multiple things that we are managing
1: very much we are in a state of exhaustion mm-hmm. and overwhelm from on-screen lives uh, especially video call fatigue and one quick uh, tip here is not everything needs to be a video call but what i think the opportunity we have at our fingertips right now is to create this better normal where we're reimagining more inclusive more creative connections as a result of the last two and a half years in in remote and hybrid environments And so my challenge to everyone as we come back to the office, as we come back to birthdays and parties and and in-life gatherings is how will you bring the lessons of the last two years into those gatherings? Secondly, how will you invite those in that normally wouldn't have been there? Proximity bias has always been a limiter to engagement and connection. And third, how will you be thoughtful of even unique qualities that will bring in voices that normally would have had trouble anyway. Uh, I'll Mm -hmm. give you a story. I know one leader based in New York who runs a global team. She has colleagues in London, Buenos Aires, and Sydney, Australia. And she found her colleague in Buenos Aires was not engaging often on video calls. At first, she thought he must be multitasking. Then she thought maybe he's not interested. Finally, she said, I should stop assuming and ask. And she sent him an IM. And he finally wrote back I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents, an American, British, and Australian accent at the exact same time when English is not my native language. So they started using closed captioning in their video calls, and it made a significant difference, not just for him, but for the entire team globally. Think about, you know, what are those simple tweaks that we never would have thought of in the past, but we'll be able to bring back to our hybrid landscape?
0: Hmm. You've asked a lot of these questions and then understood through the research how we can shift what we're doing, especially as we come back to hybrid work. So I want to know what are you asking now so that we can create an even better normal? What don't you know yet?
1: My newest area of research is on the topic of inspiration in our new hybrid global landscape, where, so many of the ways that we inspired each other was being physically present mm-hmm. in a room uh, where we could read others' body language and facial expressions and feel their energy. And uh, my next learning edge and area of excitement is to reimagine how we as leaders build a sense of inspiration and connection with our teams, no matter the distance, where we as individuals in our personal lives can feel that sense of inspiration. So I'm studying hologramming and how we can hologram into meetings. Um, I'm exploring the next level of whiteboards where teams will have a whiteboard in the room where virtual attendees around the world will add their Post-its on the whiteboard at the exact same time because it's virtual and in-person enabled. Uh, and, And I'm also thinking about ways that we can create this level of inspiration and physically show our body language in ways that are more tactile, virtual reality, other avenues that will allow us to create more serendipitous and random connections with colleagues, with loved ones, you know, within gatherings that we simply would never have imagined in the past. And where our traditional body language bias caused us to tend to sit with who we know, who we like, and often who we looked like mm-hmm. in a room. Uh, and our, our digital mediums can can fight a lot of that bias moving forward. So that's that's my next level wow. or my learning edge personally.
0: All right, Erica, I'm going to have you answer my three big answers. So the first is better humans are.
1: Better humans are creative, imaginative, and present.
0: Better work is
1: including everyone and anyone, no matter the distance
0: and a better world has.
1: People coming together in new and different ways to find common purpose and meaning.
0: Love that. Thank you so much for joining me, Erica. Thank you, Leah. That was Erica Dewan, speaker and author of Digital Body Language. One big thing before we go, I still just cannot believe that up to half of the time we are wrong about the tonality of texts, chats, and emails. Just let that sink in for a second. You are wrong about as often as you are right when you interpret how someone said what they said to you. So as we work our way through the experience of building and maintaining relationships with all these communication channels, what's really obvious to me now is that we've got to challenge ourselves to be clear. Clear about what we need and what we mean when it comes to connection and communication. I think we're all works in progress here. So why not also assume the best intent as we figure it out? If today's show helped you on your journey, leave us a rating before you go, and even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. You can also find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. Send me a message. Let me know how this is resonating with you. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien with help from Victoria Taylor. Joe Georgie mixed our show. Florence Irriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks so much for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.